Good morning, everyone. I trust that uh, you're doing well. It's now the second week of lockdown um, on the Friday. And today we celebrate a good Friday. And it's just, um, it's very different to what we normally do. Normally we will meet and then go and have a picnic on the beach afterwards or we decide it on the beach. But I encourage you today just to, after this morning's um, message for you to just even take a picnic, go out into the garden or if you are in a flat, just put a picnic in the um in the lounge and just have it on the lounge and just spend some time as a family. This morning we're celebrating Good Friday and I think it's a, it's a somber moment when we, when we realize that what Jesus actually went through on our behalf so that we could have access to the Father. Um, it was his choice. You know, Jesus died on the cross willingly and if you look at um, and right from the foundation of the world this was in, in, in play. You know, Jesus um knew from the foundation of the world that he would be going to the cross, that he would be here for humanity, that he would be sacrificing himself and saving himself for humanity. And he went through it and he knew the rejection and everything that he was going to get. He knew um, what he was going to go through. This morning what I want to do is I just want to look at some of the things that were said to Jesus while he was hanging on the cross. Um, So often we'll look at um, some of the things that he said, but there's just... And the title of my message today is, Why Don't You Save Yourself? Um, But before we get there, I just want to sort of set the scene a little bit and just, um, uh, just what would Jesus' emotional state have been like um, on the cross? Can you imagine the anguish that Jesus was going through? I think we take this quite lightly. I think we, uh, we go through the motions of Easter, just like we go through the motions of Christmas, and that we'll celebrate, um, Good Friday, we'll celebrate the resurrection, but we actually don't realize what Jesus actually went through um, on our behalf. So let's just set the scene. So it says, Jesus was in such anguish then, as he went into the Garden of Gethsemane, he says, my soul is overwhelmed even to the point of death. I don't know if you've ever been in a situation where your soul is overwhelmed, but I don't think it's ever been to a point where it's overwhelmed to the point of death. But at that moment in time, Jesus' soul was overwhelmed to the point of death. He knew what was coming. Um, I can imagine as he was praying and as he was saying, Father, take this cup from me, I can imagine just the torment and just the thoughts running through his mind. He says, can, such as, you know, can one man actually take on the sin of the world? No, I don't think so. And all these thoughts just running through his mind of just, you know, this can't be done. Father, take this away, but no, your will, your will be done. You can imagine Jesus knowing that once the sin of the world was on him, that he knew that his father would turn his face away, that this, this person, this, this father that he had this ultimate um, connection with, would ultimately turn his back on Jesus because of all the sin of the world. Because God can't look on sin. The sin of the world had to be put onto Jesus, and Jesus knew that at that moment that he would lose connection with the father. And that's why he cried out on the cross. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He went through the scourging and the whipping and the mocking of soldiers. The people of Israel chose a murderer and Barabbas to be released instead of him. Someone that they should have known, someone that they actually welcomed him. Five days earlier, they welcomed him as king. They, they said, Hosanna, Hosanna. They welcomed him riding on a donkey, laying palm leaves and close in front of him. Disciples deserted him. Peter disowned him. I can imagine how Simon of Cyrene felt as he was carrying this cross and looking at disgust at Jesus and anger 
that he had to carry a crowd, that he had to carry a cross that was meant for a criminal. The crowd was mocking him, the soldiers mocked him, the criminals on either side mocked him. And then we read this in Matthew 27, verse 38 to 44. It says, Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right side and one on his left. And those who passed by hurled insults at him, shaking their head and saying, You who were going to destroy the temple and build it in three days, save yourself. Come down from that cross, if you are the Son of God. In the same way the chief priests, the teachers of the law, and the elders mocked him, he says he saved others. But why can't he save himself? He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross now and we will believe him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him now, if he wants him. For he said, I am the son of God. In the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. And it also says in Luke 23, verse 36, it says, The soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of Jews, save yourself. To me, it's amazing that in the beginning of Jesus' ministry, as he worked the desert and he was tempted, Satan, the first thing Satan says, if you are the Son of God, turns bread, these stones into bread. And at the end, when he's on the cross, it says here, it says, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. It's amazing, Jesus' identity was challenged right at the beginning and right at the end of his ministry. And yet he remained silent. I don't know about you, but if it was me, it would have been something like this. I think it would have gone something like this. Right. You say I must come down from the cross to prove that I'm the Son of God, but I can't really take your mocking anymore and everything like this. You really want me to show you who I am? You really want me to come? Well, here I am. I'm, you, you, let's get into a fight. Let's get ready to rumble. Let's just get this done. I'm the Son of God. I'm God. La, la, la. But Jesus remained on the cross. And he was silent. That when people mocked him, he didn't say a word to defend himself. Because he knew that his ultimate sacrifice would be much more than just proving to people right there and then that he was the Son of God. I see people expecting Jesus to save himself. They're waiting in anticipation for him to come down off the cross. It says there only then that they would believe in him. So, I mean, they wanted another physical sign. As Greg mentioned last week, they wanted a physical sign of who Jesus was. If he had gotten off the cross, everyone there would have believed. Everyone. The whole Passover, there would have been hundreds of thousands of people that would have believed in him. But it wasn't about that hundred thousand or that however many people were there. It was about the whole world. And that as he knew that as he was hanging on that cross, he knew that one moment to prove in that particular point, one moment of gratification would not fulfill the Father's will and the Father's plan. In the Old Testament we read that there had to be a sacrifice, there had to be a death for the atonement of sins. Jesus, if he had gotten off that cross, wouldn't have died. There wouldn't have been a death and we would still be in the same place where we are, where they were at that moment and not having a relationship with the Father. There had to be a death. There had to be a sacrifice in order for the atonement of the sin of the world to be fulfilled by the Father. It's amazing that if you read the whole account, there's two people that changed their mind. Two people. And that was the Roman centurion, and we can read about that in Luke, where he says, as Jesus died, as he breathed his last, and there was earthquakes and everything like that, he says, surely this man was the Son of God. But the account that I want to look at today is the story of the criminal, where as the criminal was on the cross, 
he said to Jesus, he says, remember me. Now, I don't know if you remember, if you, if you, you know, realized earlier on, is that the, um, in Mark and Matthew, it alludes to the fact that both criminals were insulting him. In the other gospel, it says that only one was. But if both criminals were insulting and heaping insults on Jesus, what changed that other criminal's mind? Just think of that for a moment. What changed his mind? As he was on the cross there, when you can just see all these people hurling insults and abuse at Jesus, and he was joining in for a little bit. And then all of a sudden, he comes across, he says, Don't you fear God? There was a realization, there was a change in his mindset as to who Jesus was. Just look at the account in Luke 23, 39 to 43, it says, One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Messiah? Save yourself. But the other criminal rebuked him. He says, don't you fear God? He said, since we are under the same sentence, we are punished justly for what we are getting, what our, de- deeds, what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus answered him, truly I tell you, today you will be with me in paradise. To me, the encounter with the second criminal is very, very important because it showed something of what was to come in terms of salvation, in terms of the dialogue between Jesus and the criminal. See, the criminal said, don't you fear God? I'm deserving of my sin, but you're innocent, and then remember me. It's almost like a salvation um, message, and we're going to get into that a little bit later. But let's look at those steps. Don't you fear God? Both criminals, as I said, were hurting insults. In Mark chapter 15, verse 32, it says, Those who were crucified with him heaped insults on him. Even in the passage we read earlier, it says, The rebels that who were crucified with Christ hurled insults at him. I think he understood who Jesus was. And what made that change? I don't know. But some scholars say that it is because he heard Jesus say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Maybe as, you know, um, as he was carrying on with his life, he heard about this man who had forgiven sins. Or who had, um, you know, forgiven people's sins and the, how the Pharisees got angry. And now he was meeting that man. The man was crucified on either his left or right. I don't know what side he was on. But he said, this man is the one who forgave sins. And he feared God in that moment. He had a realization of who Jesus is and what Jesus could do. The next point is that we are punished justly. Here the criminal confesses and he recognizes that his deeds deserve death. His deeds deserve the punishment that he is getting. But Jesus is innocent of all crimes. And it's the same as when we take our, um, when we do our acceptance, it's the thing of Jesus, I, I recognize that I'm a sinner. That my deeds deserve the punishment that you received on the cross. We know that you are innocent, that you did this willingly on our behalf. But my, my deeds deserve punishment. See, there's only one person who can save us. There's only one person who um, does, who bore the brunt of God's wrath. And that person had to be sinless, um, yet to have done nothing wrong. And that only that person is Jesus. There's no other person that could do that. Only, only Jesus. And then he says, remember me. Now this to me, is, it's, it's intriguing and it's, 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 it's encouraging because there's nothing that he could do in order to earn salvation. All that he said was, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He had recognized who Jesus was. He had confessed his sin in terms of being justly punished for his, his deeds. 
And then he says, Jesus, remember me. I accept you for who you are. Remember me when you come to your kingdom. There's nothing that he could do in order to earn salvation. Here to me is also quite cool. It says, at the very time that Jesus was about to suffer his greatest agony, he showed himself to have the authority to open paradise to a repentant sinner. Just as hell was about to take that soul and pluck that soul, Jesus took it away and opened heaven for him. This 11th hour conversion is something that shows us that there's nothing that we can do in order to get into the heaven. There's no amount of prayers, there's no amount of reading the Bible, there's no amount of praying for people, there's no amount of good deeds, there's no amount of anything that can actually get us into heaven. It is only through Jesus. But I want to reiterate something is that Jesus doesn't save him from his earthly punishment and his earthly life because there's consequences to his sin. So he was justly deserved and he deserved to die. But his soul was saved. His soul was taken and put into paradise. And that to me is just, it's, it's reassuring because no matter what I go through on earth, I know that I'm going to have eternity in heaven because of, the, of what Jesus did. I believe that even in those last moments that criminal was on the cross, he was able to endure it better than the other criminal because he knew where he was going and he knew what, um, what, what, what awaited him after death. Jesus says, today you will be with me in paradise. And just as we land this and as we, as we come to a close, right at the start of, of Jesus' ministry, he, he went into the synagogue and he read from Luke chapter 4, which is from Isaiah 61. And it says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. And Jesus said, Then today this has been fulfilled in your hearing. And then there was a huge outcry and everything because of what Jesus said. But Jesus started off his ministry by declaring his intentions. He says, I'm coming to preach good news to the poor, to give recovery of sight to the blind, to proclaim freedom for the captives, etc., etc. And from the moment that Jesus began his ministry, this is what he lived. He lived Isaiah 61. He preached the good news. He healed the blind and the sick. And in his last moments, as he was dying, he proclaimed freedom for the prisoner. I think that is is awesome. From the moment to the end, there was no gap where he did not live out the will and the purposes of God. That even as he was on the cross, he was still pointing people to the Father. He was still saying, come, I can show you the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. See, the first criminal, the spectators, the soldiers, and the Pharisees, and the chief priests wanted to see Jesus save himself by getting off the cross. But salvation required that Jesus remain there. Only through his willing sacrifice on the cross could sins be forgiven. Only through his willing sacrifice could the repentant criminal be forgiven. Only through his willing sacrifice could we be forgiven as well. So the door of salvation is open. If you have ever, if you have never given your your life to Jesus, or if you have turned away, or um, just turn away, I'm just I'm going to pray in a moment, and I'm going to give you the opportunity to return. To say, Jesus, I accept you. So Jesus said in, in John that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that no one comes to the Father. And I know I've said this before, but there's no amount of good deeds that will ever get us. You can't say, well, I'm a good person. 
You know, I treat people well. Uh, I don't treat my employees badly. I give money to people on the street, etc., etc. My good deeds, your good deeds, will never outweigh what Jesus did on the cross. The only way to get to heaven is through Jesus, and He only and He accomplished that by dying on the cross. And that is what we are celebrating today: is that we are celebrating Good Friday. Is that the Good Friday is that Jesus, the perfect and ultimate sacrifice, sacrificed Himself willingly on the cross for our behalf, so that we could be reconciled to the Father. And that relationship between us and the Father is restored for what was broken in the Garden of Eden. So this morning, as we pray, I pray that um, even that you would let us know, or let someone know, that you have given your life to God. Um, and then we're going to do communion a little bit later on, um, and then we're just going to enjoy each other's company. So let's pray. Now, if this is you, if you are really, if your heart is pounding at this moment, if um, you're breaking up in cold sweats, that's God saying, your time is now. Now's the time to turn to me. Now's the time to accept my son and accept the sacrifice that Jesus has done. So let's pray. Father God, just repeat after me, if you're in this place. Father God. I thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus. I thank you that it was a willing sacrifice. And I thank you that you poured out your wrath upon Jesus on the cross on my behalf. I recognize that my deeds will never get me to heaven. I recognize that I am guilty of any punishment that is deserved. And I thank you that Jesus took that punishment on my behalf. So right now, I open up my heart and I accept Jesus for who he is and for what he accomplished on the cross. And I thank you that I can have a right relationship with God, with you, my Father. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If that was you, if you prayed that, let us know online, give a thumbs up, give a, even just say I, I gave my life, or even phone someone after this and say, listen, I made one of the biggest decisions of my life that I've returned to God or I've given my life to God. This is not something that we take lightly, it's not something that we just roll over, but there's rejoicing in heaven when one person gives their life to God. And because there's a I want to just do communion and just um we always celebrate this time where Jesus, before he was crucified, he broke bread and he um, was his disciples in the upper room. And I want to do that this morning. Is that he says that when we do this, we do this in remembrance of who he is and of what he did. So as we take the bread this morning and just allow us to remember and we're just going to just, just relax for a bit, that we remember that Jesus' body was broken for us on the cross, that his body was whipped, that it was um, torn and, and bloody, and just as he hung on this cross, his body was broken. He says, you broke the bread, and he says, take this in remembrance of what I did for you. So as we take the bread, say, Jesus Christ, thank you that your body was broken, and we remember in Jesus' name.
at all. And in the same way, Jesus took the wine and he just, he, he said, this is my blood which has been shed for you. Whenever you do this, remember of my blood that was shed, not just one drop, but all of my blood was spilt for you. We thank you for that, Lord Jesus. We say we remember the blood being shed for us, the blood that cleanses us of our sin. Father, we just thank you for your ultimate sacrifice and sending your only son, Jesus. He is the only person that could take away the sins of the world. He is the only person who was sinless. And he did it willingly. And we say thank you for that. We say thank you that we have a God who loves us so much that he is willing to make a plan for us to be restored to him. And that plan takes his son Jesus and puts him on the cross and the sin of the world gets placed upon his shoulders. And we say thank you, Father, for this redemption plan. And we exalt you. And we say thank you. We love you, Father. And just as we carry on with the rest of this weekend, Father God, the rest of the Easter weekend, as we carry on through Sunday when we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus, Father, I pray that you just impress in us this, the, the weightiness of this, Lord Jesus. That it's not something that we take lightly. It's not something that we celebrate every year because everyone just celebrates it every year, but it's something that we experience because of what Jesus did. If Jesus didn't do this, we would be lost and we would be far from you. And we just say thank you, Father God. I pray that you would just continue to love us. I pray that you would continue to guide us and to continue to lead us. In Jesus' name, amen.